0: If you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. And as you go there, I'll tell you about a a little experience of ours, Carolyn's and mine, years ago. Boy, it's hard to believe that was... I'll tell you, you don't know what I'm talking about yet. Years ago, and she'll agree with me, before I was an assistant pastor of a, a, a church in which Carolyn and I were members, we were members in a church serving in another ministry in a community, uh, Siota Hills Camp, if you know about Siota Hills. We were serving at Siota Hills Camp, and God called me to be the assistant pastor of the church that we were members of. But before that, we, we were workers in the church, and we volunteered to work in the nursery on Wednesday nights. That was pretty good training. Uh, the thing that I thought was so interesting is to see parents bring their children to the nursery, and the parents who just uh, came... And quickly, you know, took care of business and dropped their child off and left and disappeared really quickly. Those kids recovered really quickly and were enjoying themselves in no time at all. The parents that dropped their children off and and asked them, "Are you okay? Are you going to be all right?" And and I'm I'm leaving now. You know, you say don't don't ever say that to your child when you're dropping them off in a nursery. Uh, parents with children or soon to have children someday, maybe right? Pierce's maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, I see. Uh, newlyweds here and and rachel's going come on now um just drop it when you have children just drop them off and go just get get it over with and disappear as quick as possible because the child will cry but very quickly, they'll be laughing and enjoying themselves. The parents who hung around a long time and were like, Are you going to be okay? I'm leaving. You know, Boy, that puts the fear of God in a child to see their parent trying to leave. And then they'd get out of sight, and a child would cry, and a parent would come running back, Are you okay? And we were like, Leave. Get out of here. Go. Just, just leave them. And those kids were a wreck. Uh, we, it just seemed like it took forever for those kids to get over their parents being gone because the the parent would just not. I think it was harder for maybe the parent than it was for the child, but those children seemed to be upset for a long time. You know that it reminds me of how much we like we like to be settled and comfort. Uh, we like comfort. We like security. We like schedules. At least uh, at least I do. We like to know what's next. Um, it's amazing how secure and happy a little child is whose who whose parents kind of deal with them with some conviction and authority and and they're not uh, you know worried about uh, they're not worried too much about that child's feelings because they know that those feelings the, the feelings of the child are fleeting and they're going to change often and and, uh, but if you're, if you're firm with them and, and loving with them, at the same time, they, they will often respond in a wonderful way that shows that they're comfortable and they're content and they know they're taken care of and they know they're protected. The same is true for God's children. As and If you're a child of God tonight, I'm looking around the room here tonight, if you're a child of God, you're an adult child, you're an adult, you're an adult in this world, right? If you're an adult child of God, you will likely find that, that there are things that you can identify in your life that you're fearful about when you, when you lose sight of the fact that God is in control and God is there for you. God is promised to help you. If you lose sight of those facts, you can you probably pinpoint some things in your life that you get fearful about because you forget sometimes or you don't remind yourself that God's got this. He's in control. He's here to help you. The text before us is going to give us an important lesson tonight. It's a lesson meant to give us hope and courage for the life that God wants us to live with our eyes fixed on Him. And especially, we start by fixing our eyes on God by fixing our eyes on His Word. We look at the Bible, we read it for ourselves, we memorize it, we sing hymns about it. Why? Because where we will be spiritually is dependent upon much of what we put into our hearts and minds, and that must begin with what God has given us to put into our hearts and minds, and that's the Bible. We're going to explore a side of God that should be of great encouragement to us, Uh, because even believers in Jesus face challenges. We face difficulties. There are hardships. Some of us are going through hardships. Some of us have recently gone through hardships. Some of us will soon go through hardships. That's the nature of life on this fallen world, in this fallen world and on this this planet. So this is likely something you're going to need. And it's good that we hide God's Word in our hearts so that when these challenges come, we don't sin against Him by by missed by distrusting him or having little faith the text i want to look at is going to be a reminder to us that no matter where we go or what situation we find ourselves in god is always present god is always with us a child a, a child that's left in the nursery at church whose parent quickly disappears <laughs> is coming back and that child so, soon learns to be content where the parent has left them, because they know they've after after a few weeks they realize Mom and Dad are going to be back they 'll be back they, they love me i'm 'm being taken care of. We need that kind of reminder in our own walk with Christ that God is there for us, He actually never leaves us we don 't see him, but he is there with us we 're going to see first that there is rest for god 's people because he is always with his children, and it 's seen in god 's love of His chosen people Israel. That's why I've taken you to Isaiah 43, and I want to start by looking at verses 1-4. through There is rest for God's people. Remember this, there's rest for you. There's confidence in Christ. There's courage to face hardship and difficulty. There's rest. That's what I mean by rest. There's rest for God's people, because He's always with His children, and we see it, Demonstrated in God's love of his chosen people, Israel. Look at verses 1 through 4, Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. And I love these two words fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Why? Verse 3 gives the answer. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. That's a wonderful passage, isn't it? You hear those repeating themes of God's love for His people. God had chosen the people of Israel so that they might become a special object of His love. He would pour out His love on them, His everlasting love. We can hear it especially in verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. Because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. That is precious. In the Bible we read that He chooses Israel. He chooses them to be a special people for Himself. But note this, I think this is interesting, and important, an important reminder for us, and we hear it often in the New Testament. God hadn't chosen them because they deserved it. They weren't special because they were good or, or obedient before He showered His love on them. They weren't special because they were remarkable amongst all other people on earth. They're His chosen people. That's why they're special. They were not perfect. And we see nothing here that indicates they actually deserved God's favor. That's a reminder we see repeated of believers in Jesus in the New Testament. We don't come to faith in Christ. God doesn't shower His love on us because, we des- because we've earned it. He, gives it. he gives us His love because He's gracious, and He's yeah. generous, and He's forgiving. Nonetheless, God told them, God told the Israelites that that He first created them. Do you see that in verse 1? He created them. This is a powerful reminder to them. Who's in control? The creator of the universe is in control. I need to be reminded of that often, and I'm guessing you do too. Who's in control? The creator of the universe is in control. So God says, but now thus says the Lord, verse 1, He who created you. That's wonderful. And not only did He create them, He redeemed them. You see that there? In verse 1, He redeemed them. Redeemed here translates the original language, which meant to buy out of slavery. You know who else is enslaved? Sinners before salvation. Sinners before Christ redeems them. Saves them out of slavery to sin. The message God is communicating to His chosen people is that as as their Creator, as their God, no one and nothing can take them out of His hand. We need that reminder a lot. There are all kinds of things in our lives that can cause us to fear and doubt even God's goodness and grace. Doubt whether God can change a really difficult situation or hardship. But we shouldn't doubt the Creator of the universe. We shouldn't doubt our Redeemer. God is in control. Nothing can take us out of His hand. Nothing could take Israel and, or will take Israel out of God's hand. They are His chosen people. Note also this imagery in verse 2. There's imagery in verse 2. It's the waters, rivers, fire, and flame. Look at it again. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Deep waters... We often use that kind of terminology when we're going through a difficulty. We say, this is deep. This is, a, this is deep water. Um, and I think that's the kind of picture that God is giving His children. Uh, when they go through trouble, He's going to be there with them and for them. Uh, Fire might make us think of hardship, even persecution. There were troubling times awaiting Israel, but God's telling them, He's preaching to them, He's encouraging them, equipping them for the hardship that they were going through and going to face. The message here from God for His people is that He will protect them. He will watch over them. And though they are going to find themselves in trouble, He will always be there to help them. Guess who else needs to hear that? We need to hear that. We need to hear that throughout, and we hear it throughout the Bible. If you read your Bible, you'll hear this. God is there to help us when we trust Him, when we seek to walk with Christ. God is there to help us. He will be there. Have you noticed how much... Um, you think about it, you can see it even now. If you watch any of the news, and, and I don't watch a whole lot of news, it can be discouraging to watch too much, but you hear about the world's hate for Israel. You see it in the news especially right now. And, and again and again, it just it seems like there's a constant cycle of hate being poured out on the nation of Israel. I think part of the reason may be that some in the world are aware of the idea that God has chosen Israel and is with them in a special way. Not necessarily that they believe it, they just don't like it. And so they resist this. But it's also, I think, likely that a greater part of the reason the world hates Israel in so many ways that are obvious is that God's love for His chosen people makes Satan angry. And Satan moves in people to show his anger toward God's chosen people. Now think about some of your own difficulties. If you're a child of God, He has promised to be with you in those situations because He has chosen you for Himself just as He has chosen His people Israel. And guess who doesn't want you to be happy with that? Guess who doesn't want you to be happy who, who wants you to fear? Guess who wants you to doubt when troubles come your way? Guess who wants you to doubt that God is in control and that He cares for you and that He loves you and that He is going to help you in the midst of the hardship? Satan doesn't want you to believe that. But we're His children if our faith is in Christ. And we have no reason for fear. We have no reason for doubt. We have the Word of God to encourage us, to instruct us. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit who indwells you to help you believe the Word and help you to see that this is true for you. Look at how many ways God describes Himself and what He has done for His chosen people. Go back to the beginning of verse number 1 and let me just emphasize a few words here in this passage that we read. Look at how many ways God describes Himself and what He has done for His chosen people. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you. That's remarkable. Remember that. God created you. He's talking to Israel here, but there are many truths here that apply to us too. God created you. O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. If your faith is in Christ, you've been redeemed. I have called you by name. That's precious. Think about that. God has called you by name if you're a believer in Jesus. He drew you to Himself. He opened your eyes to give you faith to believe in Jesus. And then here here we see in verse 1, You are mine. Verse 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Who is this? This is the Creator of the universe. This is God Almighty. I will be with you. And through the rivers... They shall not overwhelm you, why? because I'm the Creator. the waters can't harm you, I'm the Creator, I control the waters, says God. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Verse three, I kind of envision a question at the end of verse two, Why or how can you how can you prove this? Verse three is the answer for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of israel your savior i give egypt as your ransom cush and seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and i love you i give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life what god is doing here is making it very clear that israel is special to him The people were objects of His special love. The references, you probably noted these references in verses 3 and 4. They may have caused you to wonder and question. The references in verses 3 and 4 to the other nations, Egypt, Cush, and Seba, they're all illustrations clearly of how God would even sacrifice other nations and other peoples for them because He had chosen them for Himself. And Israel is still precious to God. And when you hear all that God has promised and has done for Israel, stop to consider all that God has done and is doing for you. The Bible tells us that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He chose you before the foundations of the earth. Isn't that incredible? I praise God for that. I could not have, I I have no part of that. That's God being gracious. The Lord Jesus Christ, our crucified Savior, think of that. Think of that. How good and gracious God is to give the Lord Jesus Christ, His spotless, sinless Son, to be the sacrifice for our sins. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't have to give us Himself, but because He loves us, He pours out Himself on us. He pours Himself into us. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're never without God the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to comfort us. And that's precious, because at times we need comfort to help us, to teach us. But there are times we need to be corrected also, or afflicted by God's Spirit. I've heard um, heard preaching described as comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. (laughs) And God does that. God is incredible. He, he comforts us when we're afflicted. But yet, when we're comfortable and lazy spiritually, He knows, he knows better than to think that that's good for us. So He afflicts us with, with what we need to shake us, to get us to turn back to Him. He did that with Israel. We see it again and again. Oh, the privilege of Think about this, the privilege of communion with God through prayer. And we often, I, we say that word communion, you think of the Lord's Supper, and that's good. And that is something that we do, and we should do, to remember the Lord's death for us. But I think about communion through prayer, as we commune with God. He communes with us through His Word, we commune with Him through prayer. And that is a privilege, that the Creator of the universe hears our prayers, cares about our prayers, answers our prayers. His answers are perfect. The timing of His answers are perfect. Think about this, too. The privilege of being a part of the body of Christ, the church. He doesn't save us, save us, and then just leave us alone in this world, defend for ourselves. He puts us, he says, become a part of the church, be a part of the church, the body of Christ in this world, at work. Serve with your brothers and sisters of Christ. That's a privilege. The privilege of serving Him and being messengers of the Lord in this world is a high honor. When I think of God's promise to be with us throughout our lives as we live for Him, I keep coming back to a passage that's familiar to you, probably, to Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, when it reminds us, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You get that? For He has said. And the New Testament echoes this because it's true. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The implication here is what can man do, measly man, compared to the creator of the universe? And the answer is clear. Nothing can thwart the hand of God. Nothing can stop God from helping you. God loves those who are His children now, and we also have a very special place in His heart now, and He promises to act according to His unlimited power to help us now. Sometimes I think we forget about the fact that God is here to help us now. It's not all about eternity because we, here we are, here and now. We, and you heard me say this morning, you need to be heavenly minded. You need to think about the eternal so that you live properly here and now. But remember that here and now, God is with you now. He's in you now. He gives you His word for now, to help you now. God loves those who are His children now. And that is wonderful. So there is rest for God's people because he is always with his children. There is also rest for God's people as seen in this fact that God's it's God's promise to restore his people Israel. Move to verses 5 through 7. Isaiah 43, look at verses 5 through 7. Verse 5 again we hear this, "Fear not." Do you know why God often repeats that little phrase, "Fear not"? Because we often forget And we're fearful. Verse 5 Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Do you want to know why you're here on earth? Verse 7, just a little side note here, whom I created for my glory. Again, this is a high honor, to live life for God's glory. That's not a throwaway phrase for Christians. That's not something of little account for believers in Jesus. To live for God's glory is a high calling. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made Here's the message from God. God gives rest to His people by showing them that He would never leave them, and He gives them this promise of restoration. This is a promise from God to the people of Israel of restoration. It's because of God's gracious love for His chosen people that He's willing to restore them. His gracious love makes Him willing, because so many times they were rebellious against God. And maybe you can look at your own life and think about times of rebellion when you knew you were not doing the thing that pleased God, but you did it anyway. That's rebellion. And it's because of God's gracious love for His chosen people that He's willing to restore them. you realize that God is quick to restore you? When you've turned from Him and been disobedient, and you, and you realize it, and, and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you repent, turn back, and you thank God for the forgiveness He's already given you in Christ, God quickly restores you. He's all about bringing you back to walk with Him in fellowship. It's because of God's gracious love for His chosen people. We see it here illustrated in His people, His chosen people, Israel, that He's willing to restore them. And on two occasions, the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, they'd captured them and taken them away from their homeland, and and now God told them that He would bring them back home. He's calling them back. He's bringing them back, and He's going to give them a chance to settle down in their own land. And this is a wonderful illustration for us of what God does with His children. Even though we sin, He longs to restore us. He longs to give us a home again, a place of fellowship with Him again, a place of joy and peace and contentment. God does this for those whom He has chosen when He brings us to repentance so that we turn to Him and claim Him as our Lord and Savior and our God. God is gracious to do that initial work in drawing us to Himself and opening our blind eyes and softening our hard heart and enlivening us from the pit of death because we're dead people in our sins according to God's Word. God gives us this opportunity to repent and believe. And God also gives us the promise of His eternal presence with us. And like Israel, we are created to bring glory to God. We noted that. It's so important that we never forget that. I have emphasized that this morning. I emphasize it often, and I think we'll, we'll do well to keep emphasizing this, that why are we here? We're here to glorify God, to make much of Him. To point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is a favorite passage that reminds us of this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And did you hear the message in verse 5? Fear not, for I am with you. Isaiah 43, verse 5. I will bring your offspring from the east, from the west, I will gather you. But he starts out this, Fear not, for I am with you. That message in verse 5 is for God's people, Israel. And it's repeated in the New Testament. It's for God's people now, you and me. It's it's for us now. God says, fear not, for I am with you. That seems like such a simple phrase, but it is profound. It is powerful when you take it to heart. When you trust the God, the Creator, the Creator, of the universe almighty God when he says fear not for I am with you you know fear can cripple us fear that's not submitted to God's truth and power and reign can cripple us it can cripple us physically emotionally spiritually so I say when we catch ourselves being tempted to fear these verses five through seven here are powerful reminders and you might do well to mark these down so that you can return to them to thank god for these truths to preach these truths to yourself once again so that you don't fear over the things that god desires to take for you and help you with so that you don't need to fear them We could even go back to Isaiah 41. We heard this a couple of weeks ago. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you get that message? You hear that? And you know if you know the New Testament, you read the New Testament, you'll hear this again and again also. God does not want us to fear. He wants us to be done with fear. And when we're tempted to fear, let's remember how God shows Himself in the Bible to be like no other, and I'll say small g, God, because there is no other God. But God is unlike any other God in this world. Anything anyone anyone gives themselves to is a small g, lowercase g, God. Our God, capital G, God. The one true God, the God of the universe, is the one to be reckoned with and the one to be trusted. we ought got to fear Him so that we don't need to fear anything else. And we can see it clearly when we keep reading. Move down to verse 8 and following. Follow along with me through verse 13, beginning at verse 8. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble, who among them can declare this and show us the former things. Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. Let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me, no God lowercase g, little g, God, before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declare and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. And then verse 13, also henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? The answer, no one and nothing. That's our God. And so there is rest for God's people. You want to be at peace? Do you want to have the joy of the Lord as your strength? Do you want to be at rest even though you're laboring in this world in which we live? There is rest for God's people who keep their eyes fixed on Christ. There is rest for God's people because God is always with His children. If you're a child of God, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, God never leaves you. There is rest for God's people as seen in His promise to restore His people Israel. And for believers in Jesus, these promises hold true for us today. We can hear it in passages like Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What's the name? The name is Jesus. The name is Jesus. Let's thank God the Father for God the Son. Let's thank God the Father for the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's thank Him for the rest that is ours in Him when we keep looking to Him, keep trusting Him, keep taking even little baby steps of faith and obedience that glorify God as we live our lives for Him and point to the Savior. And and God comes alongside of us and strengthens us. We open the Word, and He gives us wisdom to live by. We humble ourselves before Him in prayer, and we ask for His will to be done, and He answers our prayers in His perfect timing, with His perfect resources, and we can rest, and we can thank God for that.